Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode. This one is called Us For Them, and Devin is taking the lead again, so I will turn things over to him. But before I do, I just have a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the show and want to help others discover us, one of the best things you can do is go ahead and leave a five-star review. If you want to support us and gain access to the patron-only podcast episodes, you can find us over at patreon.com. Last but not least, if you ever want to reach out to us with feedback, ideas for episodes, or you just want to chat, you can always email us at hosts at lonelymountainmystics.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we are joined by a good friend of mine. His name is Yen Lai, and uh, he's from Texas, which is where Stephanie and I are originally from. Tonight, we're going to be doing an episode called Us For Them. Um, so, Yen and Stephanie, if you want to go ahead and say hi. Go ahead, Hello. Steph. I'll let go. <laughs> good go evening, ahead. y'all. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome, Yen. <laughs> hi, everyone, and welcome, everyone. I, yeah, I guess you guys are normally on this podcast, so I don't know who I'm welcoming. <laughs> Thank you for welcoming us. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Oh my God, I miss you so much, man. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, Um, so we've been having a very fun conversation prior to recording, but uh, I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but just to let everyone who's listening know, we are currently recording this on November 4th at 7.45 p.m. Eastern, which means that we still have not heard the final results of the election. And I think that's definitely going to play into our conversation tonight. So are you guys excited? (laughs) I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. I'm so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the concept of this um, actually comes straight out of a Michael Gunger song called Us For Them. So I'm slightly plagiarizing whenever I use that for the title of the episode. Um, But the idea of Us For Them, uh, for me, has always been a very intriguing one. And with the changes in my faith, the evolution in my faith, that concept has really taken on new dimensions for me. So before we jump into like questions and stuff, I want to hear Steph and Yen, what are your thoughts or what first pops into your mind when you hear the phrase us for them? I think of advocacy. Say a little more. Um, Defending the marginalized. I love it. Yen, what about you? Yeah, I'm still stuck here pondering what I feel and what I imagine us for them. I imagine, similar to what uh, Steph just said, advocacy and defending the marginalized, um, having been raised in a more minority background, I, I, I find myself uh, in those situations where I've experienced being marginalized more so than uh, fighting for the marginalized. I think kind of us for them, tying back into this episode that we're going to be talking about, I've noticed the trend in terms of my being able to unite this pain that I felt in my experiences and how I could connect that uh, with what's going on in America today. So when I think us for them, I think about my situation and wish what would have happened for me. Mm. 
So for those of us who've never met you, tell us a little bit about uh, what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. So my background, about your background. Yeah. yeah, my background, I'm uh, first generation. My mom came here illegally from Malaysia. And my dad came here as a refugee from Vietnam. And they met here. Um, they're both ethnically Chinese. And they met here in San Antonio, got married, and decided to start a family. We grew up on the southeast side of San Antonio. And in that area, the demographics, uh, it's probably, I, I don't know, I felt like I was the only Chinese person growing up there in that area, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but starting from a young childhood, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So we would go to these community centers where they would oversee us. And being the only Chinese people present in that area, we got to experience what it felt like to be different from everyone else. And to be the brunt of all jokes growing up, to feeling like you're always having to be on your toes around people because you were different for something that you had no control of. To me, that that's kind of where I base a lot of my experience from. So yeah, my background is I'm, I was, I'm first generation born in a very uh, diverse community. Then I eventually, when I went to school, we managed to use my aunt's address and we went to a, uh, I guess a less diverse school district. And even there, it, it was very, it, that's, kind of my background of coming from a poor neighborhood to affluent neighborhood uh, and just getting to experience both ends of feeling marginalized in that sense. So, so growing up feeling different. um, I love that you brought up the idea of I had no control over how I was born. Yes. That notion for me has really been revolutionary in how I view the world. Not only did we not choose what family we were born into, we didn't choose our gender, we didn't choose our ethnicity, and we also didn't choose to be born. So knowing that nobody has any control over being born into the body, family, or community that they're born into has changed how I view fortune, how I view privilege, how I view really just every aspect of the the life that we live and the life that we have. And it's given me a place to start empathizing with other people. I guess, I don't know, Stephanie, what are, tell me how that idea of not controlling what, you know, how you were born, how that's affected you. Cause I know that in our last conversation, you brought it up a couple of times. Yeah. I, for a lot of my life, I felt like, even though my parents divorced when I was young, I f- feel like for the most part, I've led a pretty charmed life. Yet I, do feel very independent from my parents. I don't think they tried to have a large amount of influence over how I came to conclusions or the way that I perceived the world. Mm. 
but through that, I've been able to change my mind on things. So I might have started off in a more liberal mindset and then got married, had a family and going to church and my mindset became more conservative. And then my children get older and I find out I have a transgender daughter and then I Mm. have to do a lot of work to understand that and I arrive at a more liberal mindset. So weaving in and out of those liberal and conservative mindsets has not been too difficult for me. Wow. I mean, that sounds, so I'm a little jealous to be honest Mm. (laughs) because it, it was extremely challenging for me weaving in and out of those mindsets because there was always more cognitive dissonance than I realized. I was used to being around people who didn't look like me you know, having Hispanic friends, like I, I dated diverse group of different, you know, women of different ethnicities, like, so I was always exposed to a lot of diversity. And one of the things that I didn't realize that was afforded in the privilege of me also looking, you know, having more Caucasian features is that like, we would make these jokes, you know, like racial jokes at each other. And we would, you know, use like racial slurs with one another. And we would always use like this, like inappropriate humor about race. But realizing that when I came to New England, I look like a white person. And now all of a sudden, the difference that set me apart from like, the white friends that I had, now nobody can see that anymore. And so now I I don't get harassed by police like I used to in the South. I don't get treated as other as much as I used to. And so now I'm sitting in the back looking like, oh, I can put all those jokes behind me, all those inappropriate race-based jokes, all those, they, they don't affect me anymore because I look like all the other white people that I'm around now. But all of my friends of color those jokes still get carried by them. And I remember like a while back, I connected with a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And I was just like, hey man, I just want to apologize for all those jokes that I used to say when we were younger, man. That It wasn't cool. Yeah, I, I can't imagine like the fact that we were making light of this thing that most people aren't joking about. You know, we're, we're, we're making light with things that have led a lot of people to have like PTSD and I'm really sorry. And I didn't realize that like, oh my God, that that's an aspect of privilege that I can leave those jokes behind. I can let go of those jokes. I cannot be affected by those jokes or I can choose to just ignore them and move on because I don't look different enough for me to walk around constantly feeling my skin. I think what's been hard for me, Devin, and going back to your jokes and uh, how you used to make jokes with your friends about race, it's funny how I've become conditioned to accepting that as part of my life. Uh, my telling myself, oh, it's no big deal, Yen. It's just a joke. Oh, you know, Yen, like uh, they're just playing around. They don't really mean it. But what they don't realize is that 
I've been conditioned to think this way. And that's a problem in its own. I've been conditioned to think, hey, uh, my feelings should be minimalized in all of this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I recall one incident at my workplace how somebody thought it would be funny to leave uh, frozen wontons on my desk. And, you know, when people think about it, uh, outside looking in, they would think they would think it's fairly harmless. Um, to me, it was painful, but nobody nobody could understand why that was painful. And I think that's the problem: is people thought I should laugh at it, people thought I should feel this way about it, but at the same time, they're not me. They haven't gone through what I've gone through in my life. They haven't experienced. Uh, what it feels like to be different in their life uh, from the majority of people. And I think that's kind of where it plays into uh, fighting for the people who are the marginalized, fighting for the people who are ostracized or just judged for just who they are, judged by the color of their skin. So um, you talked about how your experience of being, you know, of feeling otherness because of being a person of color and how that's informed your desire to advocate for other people. So one of the things I know you're passionate about is the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, tell me a little bit more about how, how your experience informed your decision to be a part of that. My experience, just feeling realizing that people judge me for, oh, he's going to do well in school. Oh, he's going to be doing well in math. Like to have those assumptions about me, it's stupid. But at the same time, I also realize that those assumptions made about me and compare it to the violent assumptions made about people of color, specifically black people in America, when somebody sees a black person, and as of late, people assume automatically violence. They make violent assumptions about black people. If people assume that I'm good at math, but when people look at black people and assume that they're going to be violent, that's where that connect happened, Devin. Um, mm. And it terrified me so much to think that people have no choice in this matter. They are born into their body. They are who they are, and there is nothing wrong with it. But society, for some reason, has decided, or not all of society, sorry, I don't mean to generalize, but there are people out there who have decided stereotyping is okay. And that's not right. And that's terrifying to me that there are children being raised that way to think that about people. And so how that comes back to my activism, I, I just want to bring that change into the world, to, to breathe love into the situation, because I think people have, have got to find that connection. I think people have lost that connection, that, that ability to empathize, the ability to think, okay, if I were to wake up in somebody else's shoes and to be treated this way, would I want to be treated the way I've treated them or, you know, the simple golden rule. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because for me, uh, my desire to advocate for people who are marginalized comes a lot from the experiences that I had of 
you know, never fitting in of, you know, growing up being bullied and things like that. And so first of all, it's exciting to hear somebody who's like, no, I'm passionate about, you know, people who are marginalized because it's the right thing to do. Yes. Um, And I love that. (laughs) Um, But for me, it was, it's, I never felt like I was anything other than a black sheep. And so for me, I'm very, that's led me to be passionate for anybody who I see as being marginalized. And just to piggyback on that, Devin, you know, having children now, uh, not saying that you need to have children to understand and empathize with the marginalized communities, but I know having children and just listening to stories about black people fearing for their sons, leaving the house, uh, fearing for their black sons getting pulled over by a cop, like, Nobody in any situation should ever feel afraid to ever, ever feel afraid to be who they are. And that just screamed so loudly to me that there's an issue. If an entire community is saying that they are scared for their son's lives, why are people not listening? Just objectively speaking, taking color out of the picture if a community of people are saying we are scared for our children's lives when they get pulled over, not certain if they're, if they're going to be able to come home alive that day, why are people still fighting this? Why are people not joining forces and holding hands and saying, we want to help y'all. We want to show y'all love y'all. There, this <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, yeah. that it's really hard to understand why people aren't connecting with that. What yeah. and why are it's, they making it political? I have not really stepped into the activist role until the last year or two. <laughs> As I started deconstructing and listening to voices outside the evangelical church that started educating me on what the life of the marginalized is like. It's really, as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, isn't that supposed to be what the church is doing? Right. Isn't that supposed to be Jesus? (laughs) Right. And, and for so many years, I'm living my charmed life and protecting my, you know, the money in my pocket and going to church and not hearing about how to defend or why it's important to defend the marginalized when I'm at church. Learning that over the last couple of years that that was glossed over by the church, uh, hugely disappointing that that took place. Mm. You know, one of the things that I'm hearing over and over from you guys sharing stories is you listening, you both are talking about when I listen, when I listen, when I listen, you know, and it reminds me so often of like, you know, when Jesus would speak, he would say things like, those of you who have ears to listen, hear me. Mm -hmm. And what's really beautiful about like the original Greek that that's written in is that in that culture, the idea of hearing something implied a response. So it's not only just saying like, those of you who have ears to hear me, 
here, it's saying, those of you who have ears to hear me, listen and respond, listen and move. And you see constantly in the Bible where Jesus is going after the marginalized, going after uh, the people that were different, the people that society didn't want, that society hated, and being willing to be ostracized, being willing to uh, be treated like a criminal, being willing to really put his life and his body on the line for it. To me, I heard all these stories. I heard all of them, but I didn't really see a lot of them being lived out. So I would see people putting duct tape across their mouths and going and standing in front of uh, healthcare facilities that offered abortions. Mm -hmm. I would see people like going out and trying to defend you know, the helpless and do that. But what I didn't see a lot of was people sitting down with somebody and saying, tell me your story. Tell me what's happening. What do you need? And then being willing to meet that need. Well, and there wasn't I, an engagement in proximity to those people either. It was, right. we're going to collect clothing or money or whatever it is and send it off to this organization and we can pat ourselves on the back that we've done a good thing it wasn't going to the margins and putting yourself next to somebody yeah what i want to hear or, or, or what i'd love to know a little bit more of is in this election um and we don't have to get into who we voted for or who we want to win but if this election happens and the candidate I want to win loses, how is us for them going to show up in my life for the people who won, who I don't agree with anything that they say or believe? So I'll share a little story. Mm -hmm. uh, so my wife runs an organization called Written on Your Heart, shameless plug. It is an anti-human trafficking organization. And as we were there, I had this realization as I was listening to a story being told about a person who was a victim when they were a child, um, who then went over, went on to perpetrate violence to someone else and realizing that this person who I hated when I heard their story and realized that they were also a victim, my heart broke for a group of people that I never thought it could break for. And it was for the people who perpetrate acts of violence against others. Looking in my own, in my own life, the times whenever I was bullied and then became a bully, the time when I experienced verbal abuse and became verbally abusive, the times whenever family members experienced abuse and became abusive, the time whenever I met people or I saw people who were victimized first before becoming perpetrators of um, negative actions. My heart stopped looking at those people as other and started looking at seeing pieces of myself in them. And realizing that us for them, that me being for a different group of people also means me being for people that I never expected to care about. And so it showed up in my life in a way that I never expected it to. 
And now that this election is happening, I'm asking myself a lot of that same question of when I hear somebody who has a different political view for me, how how is this idea of us for them showing up in my life towards those people? Well, I think you mentioned it as you were sharing your story because you were listening. So <laughs> I think it comes back to listening again when we hear what someone else has to say and when we're genuinely interested in why they vote the way they do or why they feel so passionate about an issue the way they do and you're seeking to understand somebody not just looking for an opportunity to change their mind i think that's where you find common ground is just seeking to understand I'm what about you ian i know that I, there was yeah. got a lot of anxiety about the i do too by the way <laughs> i it's anxiety but it's also a lot of hurt that i've gone through as of late because mm. of this that i'm i find myself still healing from this and to be honest with you Devin, i haven't found the right answers for that um mm. i'm still lost when it comes to trying to find that connection still because right now it's and this is just the very human version of me i i just couldn't bs an answer for you here because i don't have an answer for that right now because yeah i'm in a place of hurt i'm a i'm in a place of uh just trying to seek that or i know in my heart i'm still looking for that connection I just can't see it right now. I know it exists. I know it's somewhere in there, but for me, the safe space in which I find connection with people is almost becoming a recluse, ironically, <laughs> because yeah. how are you supposed to connect with people when, but at the same time, I think people connect differently. I think people just need that healing time, need to get away from it, to reflect on it. And that is a form of connection. Um, and so I have no right answers for this, except for myself. I am deeply hurt. I heard a lot of things in my offices said out loud where I just do not complete, do, I do not agree with at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm flabbergasted that these people who I'm rather close with would say such things. And I have trouble finding any con or I have trouble finding any common ground with that at the moment. So that's kind of where I stand right now. Yeah. When you're talking in, I'm thinking about something that I heard Brene Brown say. Yes, in the last week I love or two. her. Love yes. Renee Brown. And she was talking about um, the power over versus power with and power to. And when we are talking about us for them, it's much easier to advocate or to imagine yourself defending marginalized people who you may consider a lower status than yourself. But if you're talking about us for them and you're pointing at people who 
have some sort of power over you, it's much harder to imagine, like, how would I, <laughs> yeah, how would I advocate or defend for someone that has a power over me? Right. Well, and here's the, the ugly truth of the question that I'm asking is this is also for me. I, I feel so much betrayal. I feel so much frustration, so much anger over some of these things mm-hmm. that up until very recently, I didn't even want to record this episode anymore. And it was my idea <laughs> because for me, I, I had zero desire to do it. And yeah. I think that your response is so important to hear and so important to like have a space for and to have a space to be gracious for, because yeah. the truth is, is that like, it's okay to not be there. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. need to advocate for someone right now. Cause I'm advocating for me. Yeah. And the truth is I'm kind of pissed and I'm hurt and I, I need time for me to heal before yeah. I can even start to worry about somebody else. Well, and, and if I you're not healthy and whole, you're not going to be able to advocate for anybody. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, a- amen, sister. Like, <laughs> I just, that's for me right now is that like, I'm at this space where I'm so frustrated with where things are at, with how things are going with, because, because I'm watching people who taught me to love this way. Yes. Act in a way that I don't understand how I could have learned the message I learned from you. (laughs) But like, I remember you telling me love everyone, regardless of what they look like, that we're all equal, no matter what our skin looks like, that we all matter, that we're all important. I mean, hell, I used to sing the song, you know, Jesus loves the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Super not good lyrics, by the way. But I feel like that lack of sensitivity actually prepared me in a positive way to look at somebody whose skin color is different and know that they are precious. (laughs) You know, what's ironic about my, my dad is he, he was never affiliated with any church. Mm. I think it's just so interesting. And Stephanie, you know, one of the things that I really have enjoyed seeing both as a reminder that it's the right thing to do And as a reminder that it costs something to advocate for someone else, I loved watching how you embraced whenever your, your child came out as trans. Mm -hmm. I loved how you embraced her and how you just kind of ran with open arms. Tell me a little bit about what that's been like and about what that, um, what has that given you? But what does that also cost you in the process? Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I wouldn't say <laughs> I wasn't there on day one uh, when she came out. I didn't understand it because I didn't know anyone who was transgender. Um, I didn't have any proximity to that LGBT community. I had a friend in high school that came out to me, but I learned through educating myself and well initially it was just a fear of you know is my kid going to be okay is she going to be able to go you know 
support herself, get a job, live where she wants, travel the way she wants, um, and be transgender. Like, how's this going to work? So, will she be accepted more or less? Right. Will she be in danger? Yes. Yes. Uh, um. I mean, the idea of my child being in danger, that's mm. huge motivation to go change the world and make it safer. <laughs> huge. Yeah. But I always feel that that's the window right there where if people are able to take that experience and broaden its horizon, and mm-hmm. I feel like that is the avenue to understanding and empathizing. Right. When you were talking about, you know, a, a black mother worried for her yes. son. Yes. Um, yeah. Similar vein. <laughs> because, I, yeah, mothers, I can relate to that. You know, mothers just want their children to be safe and to be treated fairly. Yeah. And I think anybody can find a point in their life where they have never felt included. Kind of like Devin, how mm-hmm. you went back on your own experience in high school and always trying to find a group to fit in. I, I That resonates so deeply with me. Um, I was always hanging out with the jocks. I was always hanging out with just everyone. But I just never felt, I guess, received by any of these mm. people. I was just always this social butterfly that existed, but never really somebody who was part of them. And I never felt a part of them either. Yeah. And man, yeah, just keen in on that feeling of not feeling accepted, I think is something that everybody can feel at one point or another and be able to build uh, the foundations for, I guess, in lack of better words, fighting for people who can't fight for themselves. Yeah, to me, it's just so, it's so important to an understanding of what it means to be Christ-like, to go to a place where you feel different than everyone in the room and remembering that feeling well enough to go and sit down and listen to somebody else and to see that however you treat them, mm-hmm. you're treating Christ, you're treating also yourself. In that moment, when I see somebody who feels alone, who feels like another, who feels like an outcast, I'm seeing a piece of me in them. And in that moment, I'm able to love them and myself in the same breath. And it's been really hard for me because I've always been, uh, I've always struggled with, I, I don't think there was ever a time in my life where I wasn't deconstructing my faith. And I've had a lot of anger for, I, I mean, I spent most of my life hating God and his church. And uh, even though I, you know, uh, have been a Christian and gone to church most of my life. But one of the things that like I kept thinking about, and I, I, my mom listens to the podcast. So mom, if you're listening, uh, this is a place where, you know, like many other places where you've been right all along and I just failed to see it. Mm-hmm. But um, she Never reminded me that mother. like, yeah. what was that? Never question your mother. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> She's 99.9% of the time. Right. And yes. that other 0.1%, I just haven't discovered it yet. <laughs> Um, 
Sorry. But remembering that, like, that the church is the bride of Christ. And what I mean by that is that not a building, not an institution, but that, like, people, because people are what make up the church. That some place that I don't agree with, that I don't like what they say or what they speak, that that place, they're also children of God. Yes. In so many places in their life, they have been an other. They've been the Samaritan who stopped for somebody in need, and they've been the person in need on the side of the road. They've also been the person who's walked past that injured person on the road. At so many points in their life, they've been every member of that story, just like I've been every member of that story. And that I am equally deserving of love that they are equally deserving of as well. Yes. And that's been the challenge for myself. And I don't know if I'm ready to get there yet, but I'm working on it of regardless of how this election turns out, I'm not called to change someone's mind. I'm called to love them. Right. That said, I don't have to go surround myself by people who are hurting me and by people that I don't feel safe around. I don't think that that's what that means either, right? To go march into that. But I definitely think that whenever I'm ready, it needs to be a step that I take. We need to empathize more with each other. I agree fully 100% on that. But I also find that having to empathize with other people involves the individual having to be vulnerable with themselves as well and admit Mm. that they themselves are hurt. They themselves are broken and to feel that and to face that it's pretty terrifying. And I just hope and pray that people can find it in their hearts to face that themselves because, you know, I, I have gotten into shouting matches over these elections and it, 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 <laughs> like at the top of my lungs and it's, it's, I never felt good afterwards ever. Did I feel like, wow, I'm, I'm a 100%. I'm a 100 human being right now. No, no way, shape or form. I felt that. So I, I just urge I, it's funny, I urge others to feel that way, yet I'm still struggling to find that path myself. So I don't mean to sp- be speaking from a pedestal at all, but I know when I say I urge, that's where I want to be as well, is to be able to, uh, like you say, Devin, to be able to find that connection. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you really enjoy this episode. Stick around. There's more to come. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.